Hey there, RPG fans. How's it going? I mean, you can't answer me. I'm just a disembodied voice in your head, but that's alright. Hopefully you're doing okay. I'm Greg Dalmage. I'm your host for this next episode, and uh, it's a doozy. We like to talk. I apologize, but hopefully you enjoy all the conversation we had on this one. And it sounds a lot better. Oh my gosh, does it ever. I hope you agree. At any rate, uh, we have had a lot happening at the website since uh, the last episode, so let's quickly check in on that and get on with it. Firstly, on to the future department. Tina Ola has released the sixth entry in her crowdfunding chronicles, or ongoing saga of what's happening in the uh, self-funded indie game world. So check that out if you want to see what the latest and greatest is there. As well, just a reminder that RPG Fan's uh, three-part series, The 60 Most Anticipated Games of 2019, is live as well. The biggest boom is in the reviews department, which uh, let's just dive right into that. First of all, we have Jonathan, who reviewed West of Loathing and gave it editor's choice, so be sure to check that one out. As well, Audra was very positive on Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey Redux. On a less positive note, Alana's review of The Liar Princess and The Blind Prince showed some of the cracks in the veneer of this stylish yet lackluster RPG. And Kingdom Hearts 3. Zack plowed through that game in no time flat and gave us a fantastic review on it, so check that out for sure. Robert Fenner was diving into the visual novel genre once more with urban legend Shin Hayaragami. And finally, Bob Richardson was all over Pillars of Eternity 2 Dreadfire's latest DLC release, The Forgotten Sanctum. We've also got a treat. Last episode, we spoke about Edge of Eternity and Anthem, and now Caitlin has her two previews up of both those games, so if you want a little more in-depth look at what she experienced, go check those out on the website. And finally, on to the music department. Deltarune Chapter 1 released just at the tail end of 2019, and Adam Lurz took the time to review the Chapter 1 OST for us. So if you want to hear Toby Fox's latest compositions, check out his thoughts on that. And without further ado, on to episode 159 of Random Encounter. Hey everybody, good day, good night, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to Random Encounter, it's a good time of day. Uh, I'm your host, Greg Delmage, and today I'm joined by a couple swell folk. I've got Caitlin Argeros. Hey guys, Leon Cazarel pretty much everywhere, but you knew that already, I'm sure. And we have Nathan Lee. Hey guys, I'm Smash King on Discord, boards, and on Twitter, SmashKing27. And because they're both reminding me about a thing that I told them to do and I totally did not do, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Delmage. <laughs> so we're back with some more podcasts, this time with better audio. Thank you, everyone, who uh, gave really nice feedback last time on uh, the show, despite my misgivings and insecurities. Everyone was very, very positive, both on staff and our listenership. So thanks for that, team. We are here to talk about a bunch of stuff. You know, we've got some games we've been playing. Nintendo Direct dropped this past week, and lots of good RPG news in that to unpack, so let's just dive on into it. Caitlin, let's start with you. You've been playing some fun stuff lately. 
going into some of 2018's big hits. What you got for us today? So, a couple things. I, first off, finally started playing God of War, the 2018 sequel slash reboot that I, you know, hadn't gotten around to, like, a lot of stuff from 2018, but I got it for Christmas and finally was able to start it up, and I really like it. It's kind of amazing how much I like it, considering I got really turned off from God of War 3. I was super, super turned off by God of War 3, to the point where I didn't care about the series anymore after that game. And thus far, this game, this 2018 God of War, is it's doing a lot of stuff right. It's gotten me interested again in the series, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of the game is like, and... I'm looking forward to maybe future games in the series in this kind of style. They they basically they they did a lot right with this game, I think. And I mean we've talked about it on the show. I know Derek talked about it a bunch closer to when it actually came out, so I'm not going to like go into super detail about it, but it's it's interesting to see some of the things that they've done to modernize the game experience. Obviously there are, are uh, RPG elements in the game, which is why we cover it. And what they've done to sort of kind of keep the traditional kind of dark, gory, kind of violent, you know, that you would expect from a God of War game. But unlike previous entries in the series that are part of the reason why it got turned off, it doesn't seem, at least where I am in the game thus far, it doesn't seem so needlessly gratuitous as it did in the past. I think part of that is just the fact that Kratos being much more world-weary and older and he's seen a lot more and he's he's kind of trying to run away from things you know sort of just have his his own little retirement out in the woods i think in some respects he's a bit more restrained and the game itself is a bit more restrained in how it presents the action and the violence and whatnot so not that there isn't some really massive you know some impressive attacks and whatnot that boss fight against that that early boss fight that i'm sure most people know and think of quite well when they think of this game was amazing and wow but yeah i I don't know it doesn't feel like the old god of war where half of the 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 fun it seemed was just inventing new and various variously disgusting different ways for Kratos to dispatch his enemies. Which is definitely what it seemed like. That's always what kind of had me bouncing off the series, was just the hyper-violence of it all. I just, there's enough of that out there, and it wasn't something that I felt the need to have to dive into at this point in my life, of just getting there wailing on things as much as possible. So it's nice to see that, as with Derek's review and everyone's positive feedback on it, that this one kind of milded it out and, I don't know, does it really justify it more, or... Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily justify it. It's sort of the same thing as in the original God of War, where it's like, oh, these are demons or monsters or whatnot, and they're in your way, so you should kill them. It's kind of like means to an end, I guess. Yeah, and I mean, like, Kratos, he's older, he's world-weary, he's he's clearly trying to escape sort of all the shenanigans that led him to what he'd had to do in the in the original trilogy and whatnot. Um, I never played, uh, what was it, Ascension, so I don't even know what the heck goes on in that game. But he's still Kratos, and he's still a demigod slash god, because, of course, things got a little blurry when he became the god of war. So, I mean, to that extent, it's still kind of like, you, you play as Kratos, you kind of expect 
you know, violence and some some gratuitous and some, you know, kind of impressive uh, shenanigans when it comes to how you kill enemies. But it doesn't it does not seem like the focus is so much just on that presentation of violence. It's still it's still present. It's still part of the combat, obviously. But and I think that's the other thing with this game is the the focus on this story and the relationship between Kratos and his son is much more in focus than the stories in previous uh, God of War games. Um, so that helps a lot to also to humanize Kratos, to make him a more interesting and relatable protagonist and to get you more invested in playing through the game as opposed to previous entries where, it, I, I don't know, there, it's not that there wasn't story in the previous entries, but the focus seems so much on just go to this impressive looking area and beat up a bunch of bad guys and fight a gigantic, really cool looking boss and then fight more bosses and, you know, always sort of trying to one-up the how can we make this bigger and more violent and more gore and gu- and blood and whatnot. So now, having said that, I'm only probably still in the opening portions of the game. I just got to the lake. So it's entirely possible that they the violence and the gore ramps up later in the game, and I just don't know what I'm talking about. But as of right now, with my sort of relatively brief introduction... I like it, and it's doing a lot to repair, I guess, my relationship with the series that kind of just completely crashed and burned after God of War 3. That's good to hear that they kind of, the reboot did, I guess, what it needed to do. It's just a question, I guess, of where it goes from here. I, myself, haven't gotten into it, and as interested as I am, there's just so many other things on my plate that kind of have taken precedence. I know for yourself, like, this one was on your radar, but you got it from your not-so-secret Christmas wish list, if I recall. Yes, the the wish list that I I knew exactly when things got bought because I didn't set it to not tell me because I I like being spoiled. I don't mind being spoiled. How, how are you generally with surprises? Is that uh, is are you one of those people that hate surprises? You or do you want you like you need the control of knowing when it's all going to happen? No, I'm I'm okay with surprises, but um, okay. it's when it comes to a Christmas wish list, it's kind of. For me, anyway, nice to know that the person or people that you sent it to actually looked at it Uh, and looked at it and said, oh, okay, she wants this, so I'll get her this, you know, like instead of just taking it under suggestion and being like, okay, maybe. Have a macrame picture I made. I mean, the thought counts, but I kind of want a God of War. Yeah. (laughs) Some Some of my family are pretty good at just getting me random stuff that, I mean, it's nice and I, I appreciate the thought but sometimes it's things that i don't really need or want and they just end up getting you know sitting on my shelf collecting dust or um i re-gift them so there's no shame yeah. in that no shame in that at all we've definitely been guilty of that ourselves but you nathan are you a regifter or do you do you keep everything you get always uh i feel kind of bad if i ever regift anything <laughs> but if it's something i really won't use then maybe i might <laughs> i think it's where it lies with me too or i definitely give it a good college try in my in my living space for a while before i uh, before i know it uh, was a thing but before i get around to mary condoing it and just realizing yeah i don't use this thing or it's not here i'm just keeping because it was something nice my mom gave me but like do i really need this plate from that says paris on it just because i went to paris <laughs> no i don't Love you, Mom. Love the gifts you give me. I love that they come from a thoughtful place, but it's just... 
I have enough plates as it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think it comes from that sort of place. Well, that's cool. I'm glad uh, you had a chance to get into one of uh, 2018's big hits, Caitlin. And again, yes, I don't know for myself. I'll down the line and get into myself. Nathan, did you ever do any of the God of War? Um, I played God of War 1 and 2 on PS2 when they came out. I love the combat in those games. I think it's kind of combat's amazing. The gameplay is really good, just in general. But I could never like Kratos as a character. Mm, yeah. So that was always my big turnoff. That's why I never went further with the series after that. He's even more unlikable in three. So you did not miss anything in that respect. <laughs> All right, sounds good. <laughs> what is it about him that you aren't a fan of? I don't know. I feel like he's super one-dimensional. He's just like I'm angry and he's kill angry. things. Angry. Yeah. That's basically how I feel about Kratos. So I, I could never, it's like... Legit. Yeah, there's a character, like, I want more from characters in video games. And for me, Kratos was just an angry person who just wanted to kill gods and get revenge. So that's that's something I can't, I can't really get behind. And I need, yeah, I just want more from my video games. It gets pretty one note uh, when it's just that all the time. You need, like, the palate cleanse and some ups and downs. It's the same for yeah. any, any media, any story you consume. If it's all one note, eventually you just get so bored and or desensitized by it that it stops having meaning yeah i agree with that which i'm get uh, as far as i understand the recent god of war brought that to it it's definitely a different direction i think in a lot of i mean like the entire game in some respects is a different direction it's uh i mean even the combat is much more tactical in nature than the original god of war um the original was more button mash combo heavy kind of thing wasn't it at least as far as i was concerned when i was playing it yeah i mean it's not that i didn't have any strategy in the original god of war but you were very much encouraged to just be aggressive and wail on your enemies as much as you could using your various different um, options with regards to like you know range or close melee and you can try that in this god of war but you're probably going to get your butt handed to you because the (laughs) game the game wants you to do things like you have a shield that you are encouraged to use to block and to parry attacks and that can open up uh, more uh, opportunities for attacking and you don't have you have the axe which is really cool I love the Leviathan axe it's a really cool mechanic about you know throwing the axe and having it return to you uh, you know Thor style Neat. and letting it freeze enemies or trip them up and that's really cool but it's not as overpowered as the what the Blades of Chaos or whatnot. But his uh, his chained blades from the previous games. Oh, those. Because they gave you a lot of. They were powerful, but they gave you a lot of a lot of space if you wanted it, uh, depending on what moves you use. You know, because you could you could attack in front of him, but you could also spin them around and and sort of you know, give yourself a little bit more room if you were getting surrounded. So it made it a lot e- much easier to just jump into the middle of a bunch of enemies and just wail and for the most part, usually be okay. And you can't really do that with the axe in this God of War. So you're, you're, you're much more encouraged to think a bit more tactically and attack where you can and then dodge and parry and whatnot and use equipped runes and whatnot to give yourself a little bit more either space or do a, a mega damage move. So it's... Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That helps too. Like, I mean, I it's not... Super wailing action or, uh, combat is a lot of fun, too, and there's certainly room for that, but... I'm not just thinking of a game where it's an RPG where you go out wailing, and you have to, like, fight off Greenpeace and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Super wailing action. Oh my God. For the people who are wailing enthusiasts, you're horrible human beings. 
Um, but no, it's, uh, I like it when games have a much more in-depth, a more in-depth and robust combat system that gets you to think a bit instead, instead of just, yeah, mashing a button and just getting in your opponent's face all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. I've been playing through Breath of the Wild a lot lately and, and same with, uh, even Horizon Zero Dawn, like, you, it, there's as much skill that is necessary as is the equipment you're using. So you have to kind of weigh your how you are going to, uh, and I guess to an extent Dark Souls as well, you have to weigh how much you're going to commit to each action and such. And that really gives you pause. As, and it makes the game a lot more engaging because you feel like you have that much more control over your actions. And when you screw up, you you know you screwed up. It punishes you for it, I'm guessing, especially with God of War. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean... It's a God of War game, so it's it's not like uh, your you know other RPGs where you have healing potions or spells that you can easily regain your health. You get health drops from enemies and sometimes from items. And you, um, I have a talisman equipped right now that lets me get a short healing burst on cooldown, of course. So there's a little bit of that ability to recover, but you, you know it's not it's not on demand. So if you get into a bad spot, you may have to wait a while before you can get your health back. And I presume, I'm playing on normal or balanced or whatnot, I presume that the higher difficulties you go into, the fewer of those health drops you actually get. That makes sense. So, or maybe it's just that enemies hit that much, I mean, I'm assuming they hit harder, but mm-hmm. there's probably a, uh, a scarcity of resources the higher up you go, which I'm not about that. I think we've we've mentioned before on the show that I'm not the kind of person who's like going to go for the, the the hardest difficulty for challenge i'm just fine on normal <laughs> not all of us need to be steven meyering any rate god of war was a good game people have been loving it it's almost been a, a year now since it came out so we'll see if there's any uh, other talk of it uh, how did it land a year later with other publications and such uh moving back in time with um, the conversation you're also been doing some octopath which is another darling from last year which again that came out in july last year so we're not even near the one year mark but how's that playing for you caitlin what brought you back to it because i think you've already gone through it once haven't you oh no 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 this is my first time playing oh it is your first time playing oh that's yes i um need to get that myself actually since i got the switch and i have been remiss i hated myself for not picking it up when it came out i just couldn't budget it at the time so it, it got on my backlog and eventually i was just like ah this is a good christmas request because I don't have time to play it right now anyway. So yeah, my first time playing and I love it. It's it's so good. Did you do the demo at all? I played the first demo. I didn't play the second demo. So then that's all I've done myself. And yeah, it, it definitely leaves a, a a good taste in your mouth for the game. So so yeah, you're loving it. I'm loving it. I just uh, got all of the eight protagonists yesterday. Actually, I finished. I went through in letter order so i started with ophelia and ended with hanit and so now i have them all and i'm doing a little bit of exploration to level a little bit before i go on to their next chapters and it's so charming and i love the the updated take on a classic style with the you know you've got your traditional what would be 16 bit i guess yeah. uh RPG appearance, but updated with, you know, the perspectives and little graphical effects and whatnot. Yeah. It's, I mean, and I don't, 
also probably mentioned this before, I'm not super drawn to 16-bit style graphics. It's a bit of a factor of when I, I started getting really into games. I played on 16-bit consoles originally, but when I really started getting into gaming was uh, PS1 era and, and forward. Really? So I didn't have as much time to experience classic 16-bit style uh, RPGs. And when I did go back to them... I, they didn't necessarily grab me as much because I was already kind of used to uh, 3D graphics. So, so it, it's been it's kind of can be a challenge for me to go back to older 16-bit RPGs. That makes sense, I suppose. So, strangely enough, I really love the style of this game, and I would very much love to see older 16-bit RPGs maybe sort of remade in a style like this. I think this is like a really kind of neat compromise between maintaining the look of a classic 16-bit RPG, but giving it enough of an updated flair to make it attractive, even by today's standards. The HD 2D or whatever it's called. Yes, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. 2D 3D? Is that what they call it? Uh, two, HD 2D or 2D HD? can't remember which term it is, but it's one of those. I think you are right on the, on the right track with that, though. For me, the one yeah. that comes to mind immediately is that and because the aesthetic of this game still had a bit of that kind of dark, vibrant at moments appeal, that Final Fantasy VI would be a front runner for this style of remake. Yes, oh, that would be great. I I would be all that over Final Fantasy VI getting remade using this engine. It would be fantastic. I mean, we can wish, and I doubt they will do it, but it would be really neat if they were able to pull it off. For me, I find it's it's clear this team has been building games in this kind of format because it's the same kind of team that's done bravely defaults and everything like that correct yes it's the bravely team with help from acquire i believe acquire is the other studio that helped out with this game so you can see those roots even from back with uh final fantasy is it four warriors of light or the four heroes yes i want to say yes final fantasy four heroes i think is what it is was very much, uh, the aesthetic of it was very much a storybook, kind of that pop-up vibe, and it looked great in that, and they've gone through Bravely Default, Bravely Second, which both still played back to those roots from the Four Warriors, and, or sorry, Four Heroes, and uh, now you have this, which is the epitome of like a pop-up book come to life in a video game form, and it, the appeal of it is what I want to dive into, is just how great it looks, with these graphics and uh, like uh, my words are failing me in so many ways to express myself on this there's um that game that came out on uh the playstation 3 as a launch title 3d dot hero game hero 3d dot game heroes yeah 3d dot game heroes and it feels kind of like that just brought to an even better degree and i just loved what that game was doing of meshing the 3d world with the with the uh 2d world and making then pop out in a modern way, but still keeping the retro vibe. And this game just does that in aces. And then when you even are in like combat, those sprites when you're battling the monsters and stuff are definitely harken back to Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI at the height of Square's kind of sprite game on the Super Nintendo. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, I mean, it's just done so well. I mean, all of it, 
is done so well, especially in the combat system with once you get a full party and you can start mixing and matching their their skills and what they can what they can exploit as far as enemy weaknesses are concerned. I haven't even gotten to the point where uh, I can start unlocking the extra jobs, so I, I'm looking forward to that and how that's going to allow me to mix things up with regard to. Uh, to who I field, but even I mean, just at the basics of the system, it's 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 all of it feels like a love letter to classic JRPGs and that sort of experience. But you know, with a with a modern, updated uh, twist or shine to it, uh, to you know, let it run a bit more smoothly and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And thank you. Yeah, we've talked about it on the podcast too, so I know this isn't new to many of our listeners. But still, if there's anyone having any doubt about picking it up. You know, it's got, uh, even a year later, almost, it's got Caitlin's seal of approval for sure. Yes. Nathan, did you uh, jump in on Octopath back when it first came out? I actually reviewed it for for RPG fans, so I'm familiar with it. (laughs) (laughs) No, like, Octopath Travel is a really great game, and if you're a fan of RPGs of any kind, you should pick this up for your Switch. Well, now that you've both gone, we've established you've both gone through it, Caitlin, who's your favorite of the, uh, the protagonists? Um... I really like Therion so far. I like his kind of deadpan snark. <laughs> and his voice actor, I think, does a good job. Let's see, who else? Tressa is adorable, and I kind of cannot not like her uh, her spunk. I like, I actually, I like Hanit. I'm not sure that I'm sold on her, 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 her uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, Interesting. I think um, the thing that is kind of the weirdest to me is the adding the en to some of the words. Everything else is fine because it sounds old English style. But the he he walk in in the forest and then fall in like that 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 <laughs> sounds a little awkward. But I mean, I'll I'll get used to it. It's just one chapter that I've gone through so far. So <laughs> I did uh, the Hanit chapter or started it a bit when i got the demo and as someone who is you know an actor who's definitely been a trained thespian in many productions and uh, acted in a, a few shakespeare shows and i am going to be marrying someone who is a, a for lack of a better term a shakespeare file <laughs> there's certain times where their very clunky attempt at old english shakespearean kind of wordplay made me very angry <laughs> saying, like the weird like i'm gonna want add an, an en to it or something and make this unnecessary and uh, yeah i question how much research was done into that if they are looking at a really old form of old english or there was someone who's just like yeah I've, i read shakespeare in high school i can i can make this stuff up <laughs> you know <laughs> it's like none of this i mean it doesn't have to be an iambic pentameter per se because no one talked like that of course but at least, you know, use the wordplay properly and and you can't just go around throwing an odd thine and eth and whatever on everything to, to make it sound old English. And if my uh, partner ever gets to it, I can imagine the fury that she will have as well. <laughs> See, that would have been really cool if instead of just throwing in the weird, you know, thou, thou dust and and fallen and whatnot if they had done something interesting with the uh the meter of everything that the people in that village say that would have been fascinating putting it in iambic pentameter or doing something like um 
uh, Zero from Borderlands who only speaks in haikus. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, that would be, that it would have been ridiculously difficult, especially to, you know, if it was, I don't know how it would have worked if it was in the original Japanese and then localized or, you know, even just in the localization that would have been obviously mm-hmm. probably difficult. But it would have been really cool if it wasn't just a, we're going to add letters to otherwise normal English speech, but we're actually going to change somehow the kind of the grammar or the syntax or the meter of how these people speak to make them seem different well it's a fact of life that different ways of people speaking even our own english language has progressed in such a way to where it is now that people speak it differently in different different not rhyming patterns but different yeah meter and patterns of speech that yeah if you were to go back and listen to old english not only just the words they use and everything we change, but how they say it, the rhythm and pace at which they say it would be incredibly different as well. Mm-hmm. And you can just see it even worldwide. Like there are certain languages that come out and sounding very lyrical and sing-songy, whereas others are just straightforward and abrupt. And they definitely couldn't have gotten away with saying like, oh yeah, this whole village, yeah, they speak in iambic pentameter because the way they use English is more lyrical, more poetic. Whereas everybody else is much more straightforward with their English language because it's more common in business and, you know, used globally in this world. I think they could have done it. And I think that would have been a much better use of it for sure. All that being said, derailing wise, Nathan, what were your your protagonists of choice? Well, of choice, like you mean for my party or just like characters I just, I just liked in general? Option two. Uh, characters I liked. I think one of my, fa- my favorites was probably Tressa. Then followed by Primrose. Then, who else did I really enjoy? Uh, kind of like Cyrus, a little bit. Even though he's, even... <laughs> he's so clueless. I know, he's as dense as a rock. <laughs> Cyrus is the, the warrior? He's the, the, scholar. the scholar. The scholar. Oh, yes, the scholar. Who's a, a clueless scholar? Y- yes. It. Well, clueless in the way of uh, attraction and women. Okay, so he's book smart, but not uh, intuitive and worldly. Yeah, yeah there's the, the two students who are clearly pining over him, and uh, he has no idea it's happening until uh, one of the girls just basically gets him fired for, from the academy. <laughs> <laughs> Did she pull some classic Indiana Jones action with Love You on her eyelids? No, it was more like uh, she got jealous that she was, she was focusing attention on one of the other girls instead of uh, her. So she basically just went to the, the uh, headmaster and just like, he, Cyrus did this thing, or, or something like that. I can't quite remember what it was. Rude. <laughs> I think I think it was that he was being improper with the one of his students is the princess of the kingdom that oh, right. he's That's what in. Was, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she thought it was favoritism. So accusations were flung at him. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Octopath is also on my backlog. I plan to get to it as soon as I can. But with uh, stuff that kind of built up over this past year and with projects taken on here, it has slipped down as a priority for myself. But it looks so darn good, and I was sad I didn't have a Switch at the time it came out. And it sounds darn good to soundtrack. Like, I'd almost say, even if you're not at all into classic 16-bit RPGs, or even RPGs at all, it's still worth checking out simply because the soundtrack is amazing. The soundtrack is so good. I've been enjoying it. I am technically supposed to be reviewing it. I've just been slow to get to it, and I've listened to it a bunch. My problem with it, though, uh, which may be an unpopular opinion with the soundtrack, is not that it's not good. It's a fantastic soundtrack. But I find out of context, like just as listening music, the loops are so short, which I found surprising, which means Mm. in-game I'm sure it's fine, but it gets really repetitive because they go through the loops like two or three times 
on the soundtrack just when you're just listening to it before it heads over to the next track. And some tracks I find don't lend very well to like after the first loop, you're just like, oh, okay, I could have used a variation or something. Whereas other ones, I'm like, yeah, I can jam to this for a while. But I feel in the context of the game, when you're just lost in the world, it'll blend in perfectly and totally suits the return to form of the 16-bit era of music where, yeah, they didn't have as much space to play with, so the loops were a little tighter and just there to add ambiance and build tension and emotion and service the the wordplay that where they couldn't with voice acting. Yeah. So I think they did a great job with the soundtrack in that regard. And again, the full orchestration of it and the performances of it is fantastic. I just... It, it struck me as odd that in this day and age, they went with such a tight loop pattern. I didn't necessarily get that so much uh, some some tracks i agree there are a couple tracks where it it's a it, it looped faster than i thought and then of course uh, some of the tracks are short on purpose they're like the um, the motifs the pre-battle tracks yeah oh and then and yeah the motifs at the end they're definitely not lengthy loops by any stretch of the imagination no most most of the battles get most of that which i understand because that's probably where the most protracted gameplay happens and they need to heighten yeah. the action but it's still, it's impressive considering, I think for most of us, um, Yasunori Nishiki wasn't known, really. I didn't I didn't know about him until this soundtrack. And I think hopefully the popularity of the soundtrack and the game and its reception will sort of maybe skyrocket him a little bit more into doing more and more things because I'd, l- I'd like to hear more music from him. It's definitely impressive what he does with the soundtrack considering that he has to think about eight different character themes that are referenced in multiple different places the intro to the boss battle themes that are unique for each character and all have to transition into multiple battle themes both in terms of key and and uh uh, rhythm um that's impressive and he does some really cool things with regard to key shifts throughout uh the soundtrack there are some youtube videos that you can uh check out that talk about that that was really it's it's an avenue of composition that i don't think gets talked about a whole lot i know i myself don't necessarily even think about it it's kind of one of those natural things that we we hear key changes and it just sort of oh it's a key change but it's cool key changes are super satisfying but you definitely hear more about them in a bigger deal about them in like musical theater and stuff like that because that's where you really mm-hmm. recognize when yeah a, a soloist shifts things and starts harmonizing in a different way and you're just like oh i feel that but yeah you can take for granted in just background music so to speak so it's good music <laughs> everyone should listen to it is what i think listen to it play it get on that uh, i i need to be not so slow at getting to it either i definitely <laughs> bought my switch or well the Switch was a family gift, but I wanted to buy a Switch specifically for this game, and I still haven't even gotten around to it, but I also really wanted to play Breath of the Wild, so right now while I'm diving into that, that's kind of the game that's demanding the most of my attention. It's not a bad game to demand your attention. No, it's so very satisfying. You're doing it right. I'd say we. Uh, it was a good day one purchase as soon as we got our Switch that we, Annette and I were both just like, we want this, right? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Committed. So we've both been enjoying diving into it. It's just fun just to be like, I want to go over there. And then you do it. And then you find a cool thing or see a dragon flying through the sky or find some monsters to fight. Like, it's super neat. Uh, as far as uh, going on with stuff, I have been diving into Wargroove, which released uh, on February 1st from Chucklefish. 
and it's super awesome. Have either of you two been big on the Advance Wars series? I have never played an Advance Wars game. So that's pretty big back in the day, but I've been waiting for a new one, waiting for for intelligence systems to you know take a little bit of a break from Fire Emblem and do Advance Wars again, but. So I got Wargroove actually myself yesterday, but I don't have much time to put into it yet. And well, Caitlin, you do like your strategy RPGs, though. We know this. <laughs> I do, and I'm I've been interested in Wargroove, um, but just haven't gotten around to uh, my my backlog is kind of ridiculous. Right no, it's now. totally fair, and uh, again, there's yeah. <laughs> it's a good problem to have to have too many games. <laughs> yes, but you definitely have to pick and choose where to use your time and. Also balancing it with real life. It, it would be so easy to dive into the backlog and just say, buy everything, and then not have a life outside of gaming, mm-hmm. because there's just so much to play and experience there. Mm. But, you know, finances and life and all that stuff kind of takes precedence and, ugh, you know, responsibility. All that being said, Wargroove is definitely a great game to dive into, and... Yeah, Nathan will talk more about this, I'm sure, at some point in the future. And Caitlin, if you like your strategy RPGs, as I know you do, you probably will dig this. I also like dogs, and I hear and have seen that there are dogs in this game. There is. Good dogs. Very good dogs. There is uh, There's Caesar, who is the, the trusted dog companion of who was, at the beginning of the game, Princess Mercia, who becomes queen very quickly throughout the uh, the opening tutorial mission, which is great, it, but also makes you feel terrible because you play as one of the bad guys, but it's what gives you a bit of basic exposition into the world and teaches you how the basic systems of their strategy RPG works, and you kind of find out that you're going to war against uh, Felheim, which is basically ruled by this human named Valder who can raise the dead, so they have undead armies of vampires and skeletons and all that sort of stuff. And you very quickly embark on this task with Emmerich, who's uh, Mercia's trusted advisor, and then Caesar. Caesar is delightful as a as a as a, a leader because, like in Advance Wars, you have all your different commanders. Which sometimes uh, for the main campaign were were uh, mission specific. They would give you certain ones. In this one, throughout the main game, you largely are playing as Mercia. And I've, I've had a couple of missions where it jumps over to Emmerich, and I'm assuming, and there'll be more that'll bounce amongst your commanders that you acquire as you go through the game. Uh, but you do get to play a Caesar, and um, around Chapter 2, there's some side missions that splinter off that kind of give you a little ch- opportunity to unlock the Codex and get to know more about the game and the world and the characters in it, and also unlocks characters for the arena play. And the first side mission you get is a Caesar gets l- separated from you in the woods, and so stumbles upon this fort where um, some outlaws have taken people hostage. And Caesar, in his quiet barking command of his troops, in, uh, uh, communicates to them that he wants to set these prisoners free. So his troops are like, let's follow Caesar into battle. Which I think even in the opening of his little like codex entry, it says that he leads with a quiet dignity. And he's just like the most noble looking dog with his armor and everything. And he has, when you go into battle, he has his own like personal guard of these two crossbow people. So whenever you get into the kind of Advance Wars style battle where you see your side on the left, the other on the right, they engage and attack. Caesar's at the front, he barks, gives an order, and then hops behind them, and then will like chase his tail or roll over on his back or something adorable dog-like while they do the fighting for him. Oh my gosh. Right? And his um, each commander has what's called a groove, so over time, you build it faster 
by doing taking damage and dealing damage, but it will just passively go up as well, and then you get your groove, which is essentially their like ultimate of some sort. So Mercia can heal a bunch of her troops around her. Emric raises what's called a cherry stone, which is just this magic crystal that anywhere anyone in the aura of it gets a huge boost to their defense. And Caesar can inspire his troops by howling, where they basically get a second attack, an extra an extra turn. So that's fantastic. On top of Caesar, though, one of the troops that you get in the early missions are called battle battle pups, war pups. They're called war pups. Seriously? Right. Oh my gosh, I need this game. <laughs> They're little canines in armor that go out and attack. They're good for scouting, so certain missions will have fog of war, and because they can use their sniffers, they're great at uh, sniffing things out, and obviously higher ground gives them an advantage, so you put them in mountains and stuff, they can scout out further. And they again, every troop has its things that it's stronger against and weaker against, and yeah, war pups are good against some of the basic troops. But I also love the fact that the game catered to the fact that, or acknowledged the fact that people don't want to see dogs getting hurt. So with most things, when you attack and you kill them, you see the troops fall and that's that. But when you attack the war pups, you know, they whimper, but when they quote unquote one would die, they just turn tail and run away. Oh, good. Mm. Right? Because <laughs> you know, no one was going to respond well to watching you just like murder dogs. Yeah, no. Now, every, every time in a game where you can like be mean to a dog, I feel horrible i accidentally i think kicked a dog in red dead redemption 2 oh, the oh first dear. time i the first time i ran into one because of course the control scheme in that game is horrible and it's impossible sometimes to figure out what does what so i just pushed the wrong button and i kind of kicked him a little bit and he was like you, you know i felt so bad i was like no i didn't mean it and you know they got like some sort of canned dolby for this dog just to be like and it just tears yeah. at your heartstrings and it's similar in this but i just love the fact that they just made these dogs run away as opposed to actually seeing them like fall under a hail of arrows or something they're <laughs> just like nope i'm out you can find you can summon me again later and uh and yeah as for caesar he just kind of whimpers and then he'll do the same sort of idea if you manage to lose your commander so, yes, good doggos in this game. Definitely going to be uh, joining the ranks of our uh, Game Dogs of the Year article <laughs> that we had. Uh, but, yeah, game's really, really great. Like, I'm sure you I mean, Nathan already picked it up, and Caitlin, you've been interested in it. You can see how stylish it is. Yeah. Like, Chucklefish definitely has a pedigree for bringing great graphical fidelity to their kind of retro stylized games and this one is no stranger to that like it looks gorgeous the maps are awesome the animations of each of the uh the sprites are just so well detailed and they tend to convey well enough in the storytelling they just use kind of like their static battle animations which can be a little distracting to see these troops in a engaged in a very serious conversation as they like bounce around in their idle animation <laughs> everyone just looks real real J- jones to uh to be talking but otherwise <laughs> It's they just look really polished and like the opening cutscenes really neat. And I love that the main protagonist is like this rough and tumble princess who's been like training as a warrior her whole life and now kind of has to step into the mantle of being queen and help save her people. She's not automatically good at everything she does, you know, so you have to go through the process of learning how to command the army and she second guesses as is necessary because it kind of was a sudden mm-hmm. thing. But I like the way her character is being developed. And I like the way the entire world is developed in this game, because as you unlock the codex, you can tell that they put so much thought into each aspect of the world's mythos. Like, there's a lot of depth to 
to this entire environment they've built that you could you could run a D&D campaign in this place with how much they've given to each thing. And they've, they've done a good job of circumventing preconceptions. There's like a race that you come across early on of kind of like tree people. They're like sprites of the forest. And conversely to how you usually kind of picture like elves and forest people to be like one with nature and and peace loving and tribal and such like that and skittish around people. These ones, uh, the, that race is inherently violent. Oh. So, like, they're all about the hunt and attacking things, and it takes uh, a special kind of leader that tempers the entire population to into to temper their violence into positive things and to help it be controlled and not just let them riot throughout the woods and murder everything in sight, as is their instinctual need. So I thought that was kind of neat, because when you... Yeah, I just was not expecting that when I first encountered that race but beyond those differences each of the commanders has their own powers and as you unlock commanders from each of the different races that you can play with an arcade that's about where the difference lies because the troops themselves are all just kind of palette swaps it's not like the forest people get a benefit from their troops being positioned in forests or anything which would have been neat but maybe we'll get that in wargroove too as they move along like they'll get more racial benefits on top of what the troops already offer so that can may have a big play in online competitive play and stuff like that that you want to take the tree people if you know you're going to a tree map or um the floran i think is what they're called now i'm getting the right words where you want the humans just because you want something that's good all around but otherwise it's just like do you want blue green yellow or red <laughs> and do you want your soldiers to look like skeletons or humans or you know so not that there's anything wrong, because again, each sprite is intricately detailed, and you can tell that where they're from and who they are and all that stuff, so that aspect is neat, but it just would have been cool to see. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for any game that has multiple races and where the race matters Yeah. in terms of how it affects stats and in-game interaction and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. D&D is key for that, of course, and then trickling down to other things. Because uh, Caitlin, being our 14 aficionado... The races don't really do much in that, eh? No, they they have next to nothing. They minor stat differences, but ultimately it doesn't doesn't really do much of anything to change how your performance your performance in the game. It's largely just cosmetic. Yeah, yeah. Which again, it's cool. It's nice to have options, and uh, yeah, you want to play as a cat person, go for it. You want to be a Lalafell? Lalafell, yes, the potatoes. Which is rad. I mean, I like being a monk Lalafell and punching stuff while being tiny. But it would just be really neat if they had, yeah, more benefits to, to what they could do or not do. So, slight missed opportunity, but beyond that, it's great. Uh, we've had John at the website reviewing it. His review should be coming up shortly, but so far he's been super high on it. Like, he's he's pretty convinced it's one of the best strategy RPGs that's come out in years. And yeah, he has some few minor interfacing issues, which I agree, it is pretty easy to kind of accidentally give the wrong command if you're kind of hastily going through a little too fast you can accidentally be like oh i just ended my turn didn't didn't want to do that like i find if you try and move a character like in tactics if you try and move out of bounds it just is like no you can't but you can still keep going whereas this one it just outright cancels out and you have to reselect the character and go back in and choose where you want to move it to so it's that little quality of life things like that can be annoying but otherwise it's not the worst and apparently they're going to be patching those kind of things soon so it might go back to being a little more seamless which would be really nice. And it does have a bit of a difficulty spike. I definitely have a few side missions. I'm trying one right now with Caesar, and I just keep getting my butt handed to me. Sounds like, a, like an advanced wars thing. <laughs> or just strategy RPGs in general. Well, exactly. Like, they're, they're, you're going to have missions that they give you really specific criteria that 
you got to find the magic puzzle switch basically to solve it. Whereas other times it's just overrun the enemy and build up your defenses and you'll be fine. Yeah. Like I definitely had a match where I was, uh, it took me a good like hour, hour and a half of just like beating on this person to eventually win. But it, it was dicey and it would have been such a shame if at the end of it to have it all crumble down and be like, well, there goes all that time I just spent. <laughs> and he's definitely run into a few of those, he said. But he says few and far between battles, A, of that length, and B, where it's, there's such a specific win-lose scenario that if it can all come crumbling down so quickly with one minor mistake. But there are a few of them that he's like, just one flaw and your all your investment is gone, mm. which is such a shame. Yeah. And so... That's all that's that. Yeah. But thankfully, it's minor enough. And because... It would the game would be broken if there was saves coming during the missions, so not an easy thing for them to fix. There's really nothing they can do. It's a strategy RPG, and sometimes strategies fail. It is what it is, really. But by and large, I've been enjoying it. I've played a lot of it in the past day and a bit, and talked it up to anyone who wants to hear about it. And if you have a Switch, I definitely recommend this game. It's it's going to have also a lot of a play after the fact with the arcade mode, just if you want to make matches against friends or uh, even locally and it also has a full suite of uh, custom content where you can build your own maps oh yes i heard about that yeah i haven't gotten into it yet myself i just saw that it's an option i don't know if you could build like scenarios and stuff as well if it's just simply you build a map just to go head to head on but i still think that's really rad and that was some of my favorite parts of like even going as far back as starcraft is building maps i always loved doing that and that's how usually we got some of the best custom content that existed in the, the kind of gameplay so i'm not sure if they have a way that you can like share them online per se a la mario maker and stuff like that where you can share your levels for people to download and play that would be very neat maybe that'll come later on i haven't looked too deeply into it but i still think it's really cool and i haven't unlocked it yet but there's a puzzle mode as well, which I assume is just, here's a specific scenario, solve it with the troops you have. I don't know, I always like those uh, those challenges where they give you specific limits, and you just have to find the, the right collection of moves and how to best use your troops. Each troop too, which is neat, has its own, uh, I guess, critical criteria, where they can get critical hits. So like the Warpups, for example, if two of them are basically flanking the enemy, like if they are, if one pup is adjacent to the one that's attacking, they get a critical bonus. So it usually like skyrockets their damage output. Whereas like two spearmen, if they're side to side, will give each other a bonus. And archers will get a critical hit if you can hit an enemy without them moving at all first. So hmm. stuff like that really lets you inform how you're going to strategize and how you're going to what kind of troops you're going to put out and how you're going to pair them up, I think that's really neat as well. Yeah, that's nice. Cause we've had strategy RPGs that involve things like that, where you can boost damage. Uh, like Junda Arc had the uh, the system where you would attack somebody and then on the opposite side, a party member could get on, can move into that square and then have a bonus damage or whatnot. But it's nice to see them doing that, but having it be... I guess, role or job specific in ways that kind of make sense, maybe for the different kinds of weapons and whatnot that you would be using. Yeah, because I mean, you think of like classic um, phalanx tactics of having, you know, spearmen in a row. Mm. That's basically how it worked to make a wall. Whereas, yeah, dogs will are pack hunters, so they'll surround their prey. So yeah, it all makes sense for logically for how it is. And your basic swordmen, they get bonuses if they're near your commander. So they get inspired as the most basic troop to be around their leader. I think it's very neat how they've made that work because that's one thing I always, as much as I love Final Fantasy Tactics, like the really, the only tactics it came down to yeah. was just abusing your powers and 
trying to get behind something to get a higher percentage of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there was more like, and I think you got a benefit too from higher ground, didn't you? Yeah, tactics, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So like it was very minor, but if yeah, if you had some sort of benefit of having like yeah two knights next to each other, or they were yeah if they were closer to Ramza, they would get a some sort of like a brave reboost or something inherently. Like all that stuff would have been really neat to see that game develop in that regard, and it's nice to see that brought here. Well, it sounds great. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's uh, and the. The portability of it translates well. Like, it looks good on the big screen. It looks good just bringing it around on the Switch itself. So, it's just good to have on the console all the time. And it's a pretty small down, though, which is surprising as well. So, it's easy to pick up and play. And I imagine they're going to add more content. Like, this is a game where I can very easily see them adding DLC missions and expanding on the cast and such. So, whether we'll get a full sequel or not, or if they'll just kind of build it out for the next year and a bit before working on the next one. I don't know. I haven't finished it yet, so I don't know where the story leaves off. But we'll see John's review, I think, next week. I think he said he was about done the game, so it should be coming up shortly. And there'll be more on that over at uh, the website. Nathan, speaking of reviews, you've been playing Death End Request, which is coming out on February 19th. Yep. From Idea Factory International. How's that been going? It's going, it's going all right. I've admittedly not gone as far as I would have liked it. So far, I've been pretty busy in my in real life. What I've played so far, it looks to be okay. Like, I'm starting to get the feeling that anything I play from Combo Heart and Ideal Factory, I'm just gonna not enjoy as much as I do with Neptunia. For whatever reason, that series just resonates with me, and nothing else does from from Compile Heart. Isn't Neptunia the one that most people like to? Yeah, most people smash like to. On? Most people like to make fun of it because, like, there was a period where. The first like three or so games just were abs were no well, not absolutely terrible, but they were not very good games at all. The they haven't like if I were to go back and play them, I probably I probably hate them at, at this point. Like the remakes got better, like they've just slowly been getting better. Every Neptunia game they've made has slowly been improving on its mechanics and you know improving, especially as they moved on the PS4. Now the games actually run properly. Because now they can just brute force the uh, the engine through instead of just instead of to cover up their programming mistakes. But uh, Death and Request, this one's this one's interesting. This one I I got I caught on too early. I got lashed onto it just because it's something that you don't usually see. It's very uh, it's pretty dark and uh, like a lot of the the art styles. Well, especially when you get what what the death ends that's basically what the game is called. The title is from the art they make for those actually pretty gory and uh, in nature. Like the first two minutes, of the game opens with the main protagonist, or with the main uh, main female protagonist. She basically just gets uh, sliced in half, and uh, you just see the nice like bottom half of her body just like get eaten by by uh by monsters. That's the fun. That was fun. The first two minutes of the game. Whoa, that <laughs> escalates real fast. Yeah, <laughs> that, that I don't like, like the sound of that. So the basically the, the the premise of the game is that it's a basically this company made a VR MMORPG. Before the game was finished, though, they found too many bugs in the engine, so they had to shut shut down production. And the game director, the the one who was like responsible for the engine and everything, she goes missing. And a year over a year later, they 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 notice that the game service has, has suddenly come back online, even though they're shut down, and she's stuck in the game as the only player. So that now, since the game has basically bugged out, like basically now, now an AI has taken over the game itself. They have to basically, in order to get her out, they have to try and beat the game because that's that was their failsafe in case someone did hack the system was to have the player beat the game in order to log out, just just in case. So that's the only way that now she has to get out. Unfortunately, because the game is so buggy and uh, 
the the game was never finished. Now now the game is basically me- like completely messed up. So now getting like basically finishing the game is like almost impossible. So the reason why it's called Death Death and Request, I assume re- Request is kind of like a bad English version of re- of going like basically restarting again because there's a like I want to say what fifteen or twenty bad endings that you can get. So so this game will basically be like trying to figure out like how you're gonna be able to get to that good ending. But the game does reward you actually with trophies. Like the like the trophy system in the game it gives you. Uh, if you get all the bad endings, then you get a whatever gold trophy. I think. <laughs> good for you. You did terribly. Good, good for you. You picked the, all the all the bad choices. So now I'm like, cost, I feel like whenever I play the game, I'm constantly on the edge, like making sure I save a bunch of places because you can save wherever you want. Basically, in this game, any dialogue, like a bit of dialogue, you can save. Just save points spread out throughout the game. No, no auto save though. I guess that that's the reason why <laughs> to to avoid like the uh, I guess saves coming. Right. But then that's uh, the game. Game is interesting. So it's plays more kind of like the Neptunia series where it's kind of like a little small arena and it's turn-based but uh, what you could do is after three successive attacks you you, you do knockback and knockback basically makes enemy fly across the arena and they can bounce them off walls off each off of other characters to do more damage so that's, that's a kind of interesting system i kind of like that one <laughs> it's like um children of mana used to was uh like that on the, the game boy band or the ds the ds where like you could bounce enemies and objects into each other and to kind of knock them off balance, but it's kind of neat that it also benefits you by doing damage and stuff too. Yeah, so you can knock an enemy, like say you can knock him off the wall, then the enemy bounces off the wall, then into one of your characters, they'll continue to knock back, so they'll also like take a swing at the enemy and they'll knock him around again. So you can juggle? Yeah, you can do juggles basically. I assume the same thing will happen to your characters if there's ever knockback, but I haven't experienced that just yet, so I don't know if the enemies can do it or not. But uh, that's a neat little mechanic that, that I kind of enjoy. Gotcha, so they don't necessarily bounce off you if you don't time it out right. Some enemies have different weights, so so some enemies will will get knocked back farther than others. So it's kind of like trying to play a game of like math and angles. So trying to like figure out, okay, if I knock the enemy in this direction, will it be able to bounce off the wall at this angle and then bounce and then hit one of the other characters who will then bounce it off at this angle, etc. 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 So you're playing enemy pool. Yeah, basically, that's basically what I like to call it. <laughs> that's actually good. That's actually a good term actually. Maybe I should use that for my review. Wait, what I actually want to write it. Crowdblazer <laughs> enemy pool <laughs> note taken that's pretty neat and yeah because i wasn't sure much about it i wasn't sure if it was a straight up rpg or a visual novel i don't know much about either series uh, most couple hard uh idea factor games are kind of like half rpg half visual novels there's a lot of like dialogue in the game like the first like opening five hours or so there's a ton of dialogue i was actually kind of like almost like well plus the beginning the main female protagonist shina nino mia she's kind of like whiny and and uh, she always complains a lot. So the first like three hours or so, I was completely tuned out because I was like, I don't want to like, she just cries like every two seconds. And I was like, can you please not? Because <laughs> I don't want to listen to this anymore. But like, she's gotten better. Like for like whatever reason, at the start of the game, she has amnesia. And then she gets her memories back after a certain event in the prologue story. So it's getting, like story slowly getting better. But the beginning was just like pretty hard to get through. That's probably the reason why I've been a bit slow, which is because that was like, like only takes so much of this at the start. Uh, that's kind of unfortunate, and from the sounds of it, like the game, I'm guessing focuses heavily on character interaction and and um, relationship building. Um, a little bit. I, I assume like the the dialogue choices that come up in the game and the story will affect something that happens down the road. But right now, like um, it's not a huge in- character interaction story. But what what you could do, basically, the real world, basically, because. Um, the the main male protagonist Arata Mizunashi he's still in the real world so he can interact with things in the real world in order to like help out Shina in the virtual world so the kind of the back and forth between like reality and the virtual world 
So something that that uh, Mizunashi discovers in the real world will, will take out a barrier in Shina's world, and then assume like etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, she needs to find something in the real world for Mizunashi to discover. So it's kind of like the, this night back and forth could be between the two. Gotcha. So it's the, the game focuses largely on the story development and the escape, I guess. Then yeah. Well, that sounds neat. And yeah, so far you're you're digging it. Yeah, I think it'll be all right. I don't know, like I said, I don't know if I'll love it as much as Neptunia. Probably won't, but uh, so far it's not too bad. Well, that's good to hear. Thanks for sharing on that. So as far as other new games coming out, uh, the Division had a uh, is it, is it an open beta or is it alpha? Where is it at, Caitlin? It was a private beta. Private beta. How did you get in on the private beta? Uh, I had a friend who I believe is pre-ordered uh, people who pre-ordered i believe got in and other people could register for a chance to get in and uh anyone who got in could uh it's it was kind of like the uh, like the anthem vip demo where you got like free uh, three uh friend codes you could send to other people so they could play with you so friend got me in and i checked it out on ps4 the division two to be clear division people, two yeah. yes yeah, I did play the Division 1 beta way back in the day, so. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, so f- the Division, for those who aren't familiar with the series, it's a tactical uh, for a third-person shooter RPG sensibly set in the Tom Clancy universe. It's got the Tom Clancy sort of uh, moniker in the title. The original game is set Christmas time in New York City after a pandemic uh, uh, hits and uh, spreads like wildfire over Black Friday. And uh, you play you play an agent. You play an, an agent in the division, which which is this uh, you know this sort of made up uh, special ops group in the military or whatnot that gets sent in to try and take control of the situation because obviously things have gone completely crazy people looting, taking advantage, uh, gangs, you know, taking over stuff and whatnot to try and take control and also try and find a cure if you can for this disease. The Division 2 is set after that. And from what I can tell, it's like things did not get better. It's set in Washington, D.C. this time during the summer. And it's basically it's a it's a wasteland that's overrun by gang lords and and various other not nice people that are trying to, you know, basically control everything. And the 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 people that are not gang lords or you know bad people are tr- just trying to eke a living. And you are sent in, I guess, to kind of deal with the uh the gangs and try to return control to i don't know who it's this it's a very bare bones kind of setting the opening cutscene kind of reads more like an ad for you know like you see those air force ads and whatnot on tv so and it's par for the course because the story in the original division was also very very bare bones pretty much just existed to funnel you from point a to point b and that certainly seems to be the case here with what they showed us in the uh in the beta so the really the focus is much more on exploring the chunk of the city that they give you, running quests, grabbing loot and upgrading your gear. And eventually when you feel like it, you can go into the uh, the, the dark zones, um, which are the PVP enabled uh, parts of the map where you, any and anyone can shoot you if they so desire there, including other players, or you can team up and take on NPCs or other player teams together and whatnot. 
it all looks it looks it can look nice i had a lot of problems on ps4 where assets took forever to load in so things uh textures uh would be incredibly blurry for several seconds before they would finally resolve into something i could actually read or look at there were instances where there were actually textures just missing so like for instance we went to do a side mission in a, um, the National Archives. It was a mission to <laughs> rescue the, the, the uh, Declaration of Independence, if you can believe it or not. We went very national treasure kind of with that mission. Did you have to recruit Nicolas Cage for it too? No, unfortunately we didn't. Should have. It was a missed opportunity. How great a call out would that have been? Awesome. I love that movie so much. We need a, we need a, a third movie in the series, please. But there were things where like the the building was actually missing parts of the building so you could see through into nothing so i mean other you know various things like that we got disconnected a bunch it was a beta so there's it's to be expected that things aren't running super as well as they could be and hopefully the uh the final uh, version of the game which comes out next month uh will be cleaned up other than that like it it still very much felt like The Division, what I remember of playing the original game. You have some cool new toys that you can use at your disposal. Things like, uh, 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 well, you, there were turrets in the in the first game, but turrets that can do different things. I had a drone that would follow me and just constantly replenish my health as long as it was up, which was kind of nice. That's so bizarre to think of in like a reality-based game context. Because, I mean, you get it with magic, with having some sort of magical thing giving you magical healing aura. But, like, is this drone just constantly, like, sticking you with needles? How is it doing this to you? It's, um, no. It's, like, over-the-air kind of stuff. It, it tethers to you or uh, another person on your team, and it just, like shoots you health and armor over the air inhaling healing mist it's a bit of a suspension of disbelief you're the the division is supposed to be kind of like this technologically advanced sort of group of agents so they have lots of cool yeah they have lots of cool little toys like um they they wear these super watches that light up and i i'm not sure if the lore is that the watch is supposed to let you do augmented reality things it's like the original game announcement trailer uh which didn't didn't quite you know make it into the the final build of the game but the announcement trailer of the game had you actually bringing up the map on the surrounding environment so that you could sort of like augmented reality style that's not quite that way in the original division and it's not quite that way in division two but they they've got some some cool tech to play with so i guess that's the that's where they're coming from with letting you use all these sort of high high powered uh, devices although i mean we have drones we have various different technological mechanical devices that can be used in combat so it's it it's trying i think to sort of semi grounded but you know it's a game exactly. they want it, they want things to be cool it, yeah it's going to be neat it's just one of those things that when you take a second to think about the practical application of that in our in today's technology and world it's just i just imagine you just being constantly stuck with healing needles of something to heal you or them just constantly slapping band-aids on you with little mechanical arms i don't know it's dumb That'd be thoughts so cute it would be really adorable yeah get over here heal bot i have a band-aid for you would you like polysport 
Yeah. So dumb. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so I didn't do everything in the beta. I honestly, the the first night that I tried getting into it, I got disconnected a bunch, and they they apparently did uh, address that. But I was a little turned off by it after having similar issues with the anthem, uh, both weekends of the anthem demo. So I didn't do everything. I did not go into the dark zone. They did later on in the weekend. They um, allowed people to experience the end game content uh, that's going to be in the full game, which I also did not do. But I have, I've checked out what they're planning for that, and it actually does sound kind of cool. So what's going to happen is you have certain factions that you fight against as you're leveling in the game, and then once you hit the level cap. A, apparently a totally new faction will roll in and be present if you like replay content I think it's um, you know if you do missions or if you're exploring or, or whatnot and they play differently they have different tactics they have different uh, different enemy types in just in addition to like having more health or hitting harder or whatnot so it sounds like it's an interesting way to keep the uh, the content interesting and engaging even once you've hit level cap so that's that's promising um, personally I'm not picking this game up. I bounced off the original Division super hard and I didn't see anything in this beta that really made me feel like, oh, I kind of want to give this a second chance. But endgame end game content in any kind of game that has like, uh, you know, uh, online play and a continuing sort of uh, play experience, MMOs, that kind of thing. It's That's always kind of the, the big challenge is how do we keep giving people things to do once they've technically finished the main story of the game. And so this sounds like an interesting sort of answer to that solution instead of just the sort of, oh, well, we'll give them an extra hard difficulty setting to play it on. So I look forward to seeing how that actually plays out. I mean, I look, I look forward to hearing people's accounts of how that plays out in practice. Yeah, it sounds like a much better way to freshen up the system and give you an alternate method i guess of tackling a scenario instead of just yeah. being flooded with more of the same and like you said just at a harder difficulty having you actually have to think outside the box and relearn how this enemy reacts as opposed to how the last one did is actually really clever yeah so i hope it works well like i said i'm not going to be checking it out so this is this is a probably about as much uh, there's going to be an open beta uh, the big, the first weekend of March I believe so open to everybody and I might I might check it out again on PC there just more just to see how it runs on my system than out of any real interest but uh, it looks like if you if you really liked the division if it was your jam this is simultaneously both more division but I think they've also mix things up enough or at least they've tried to mix things up a little bit so if it's if you like the division you'll probably will like this if you didn't like the original division honestly i don't know that there's much here that's going to change your mind it didn't change my mind from coming from the original game so mm -hmm. take that uh as you will does it play like borderlands and such like as an fps or is it you have a squad that you command i can't remember how the gameplay works in this game um it's a third person shooter it's it's more much more tactical than uh, than Borderlands um, games in that style. Handles like Mass Effect. Uh, yeah, it's a cover based shooter. So <laughs> if you're not a fan of the Mass Effect style of there's always convenient 
you know, waist high cover everywhere, then yeah. Um, although it's not, that might be being unfair to the division. It's not designed simply to be like a Mass Effect style clone. It's just that they're both cover based third person shooters. Yeah. And like with any of those Gears of War, Army of Two, all that stuff, they unfortunately need to justify the mechanic working all the time. <laughs> yeah, but it's also, uh, you can play it solo. Things will obviously get harder for you if you do, but the game is, it's ideally probably designed to be played with a buddy or a couple of buddies in a squad. Uh, that's where you can really take advantage of communication and your different abilities to uh, to sort of manage uh, the enemies. Oh, and I guess there are apparently going to be classes in this game, which... I stopped playing the original game pretty soon after it came out. I don't know if this is something that they added to the original Division or if this is totally new for the Division 2, but there are going to be, I guess, specializations that do different things, not just not 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 simply like you wear different equipment and that changes your stats. It's actually going to be more like uh, actual classes or specializations that might uh, I'm not entirely certain like what the the breadth the range is going to be and how different they're going to feel but it's nice to see that they're actually trying to throw in some 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 options to br- make your character unique and have a, a unique function compared to your friend's character and beyond just like hey I have this super cool gun or this really powerful piece of armor that makes me invincible or something like that. I mean, throwing back to something that either of you may or may not have played, like Modern uh, Modern Warfare 2, I think is one of the only ones I really played, but like being able to build your own class, essentially, is definitely what made that game fun and trying to figure out ways to make your own personal army of one different from the next person's and how it will complement the team, how you build your sniper differently or your melee fight or whatever. I think that's... It's a nice thing to, to find a way to bring that to games like this. So yeah, it's not all about just do the most shooting then with the biggest gun. Yeah. Whether they'll have a whole skill tree or whatever, like you can be a better medic, revive your allies faster, the squad mechanics of adding boosts and stuff like that could be really neat. Yep. So it's a thing. Like I said, if you like the original, you probably want to check this one out. If you didn't, I don't think it'll change your mind. Are you checking this game out, Nathan? Um, I may. It's kind of sour on the first division, but uh, hearing Ken talk about it, I may be able to check this one out. But uh, we'll see. There's so many other games to play, so I don't know if I'll be able to do this one. Yeah, the next couple of months are packed, and then the summer is becoming packed. Yeah, and then... the summer is going to be ridiculous from what from just from what I've seen. And it's, I don't know, it's the uh, if there's something you would really really want to play, why would you? spend your time when there's already so much to do and so little time for it on something that you're like, "Eh, maybe I'll try this. Yeah. And I know it's hard because developers are definitely trying to get gamers to hedge their bets and try their game out and see if they'll fall in love with it. Yeah. Uh, So it's hard on them when we decide to go like, no, I'm going to go with the sure thing I know I like that I've always tried and trued and I'm not going to go with this thing that's outside the box of my usual repertoire. But the fact of the matter is time is precious almost as precious as the money we spend on these games. So if you're not yeah, that invested right. out the get-go, then why bother? Yeah. Uh, speaking of the uh, busy summer, 
think a lot of that can be blamed on the recent Nintendo Direct that just came out. Oh, yeah. Because they announced a lot of stuff, and a lot of that stuff is coming up this summer. As uh, During the Direct, our Slack channel was blowing up with people <laughs> with reactions, and Mike Solosi, I can specifically remember having a lot of, like, well, there goes my bank account in the summer. Yeah, that's basically me too. <laughs> <laughs> me three. And I'm not going to lie, me four? So there's, there's a lot that's going to be coming up to play. And uh, yeah, they announced a whole hit list of some real great stuff RPG-wise that's coming to the Switch as well. I don't think it's curious at all that they really mentioned nothing for the 3DS. Although that being said, was this Direct advertised as being specifically just a Switch Direct? I don't remember. Um... Yeah, because I know sometimes they'll do like, this Direct is like a Smash Direct or this Direct is going to be... Literally just about this, but it's a Nintendo Direct that covers these subjects, and I can't remember if this one was touted as being just Switch. I'm pretty or not. sure they just said Switch, and then uh, the feature on Fire Emblem Heroes three here three yeah. houses. Okay, so that okay, so then yeah, that's not like they were saying we're done with the 3DS. It's just this one wasn't covering anything for the 3DS. Okay, yeah. so we had a lot of good RPGs though. Either way, all covering uh, things on the Switch and Fire Emblem Three Houses was the big hit that's coming out for July twenty sixth. Kaylin, you were saying you're pretty keen on some Fire Emblem Treehouse action. Yeah, it. Well, I mean, Hogwarts. I like. Yes, it's basically <laughs> Fire Emblem Hogwarts. Um, it looks. It looks really cool. The sort of you know the first Fire Emblem on the Switch and taking advantage of the Switch's more powerful system and uh, higher resolution and whatnot. So it looks, it's interesting. So they they sort of gave everyone a, a preview to the, the world of this game and the setting. So it's, you, you're set in this land that is split up between three kingdoms. That's the, the th- where the three houses are kind of coming from. You are with a band of mercenaries that eventually through circumstances get becomes a teacher or professor at this uh this school uh called Garrig Mach Monastery to teach i guess warfare it's not clear exactly what you're teaching but it's probably going to be teaching combat and warfare and stuff like that seems likely yeah yeah likely and at the school, there are members from all three of those countries that make up this continent, and they each belong to a different house, and that's where those three houses are coming from. One of which, I guess, you will choose to be their teacher or something else. It's not quite clear what that means. We just know that you get to choose one of the houses, and... I guess uh, that might mean that that limits the uh, the characters that you get to play with in combat and whatnot. Um, as long as it's not a return to the the fates crap, where you had to actually buy different versions of the game in order to play. Yeah, if you have to buy all three I, houses, that'll be yeah. awful. I don't think they I don't think they do that again. Yeah, I think they learned from fates not to do that. So 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 good. Everything looks like, you know, it's, it's, it, they've, they've upgraded sort of the visual appearance of the game, obviously, for Switch. And combat looks, it looks, the basics are still there, like in terms of movement and, uh, and things like that. But it looks like it's been heavily upgraded in terms of presentation for being on Switch. We know already that they've taken an effort to, like, have more units on the screen with you when you're in combat. So it's not just one archer taking on one 
opponent and whatnot. It'll look a bit more like an actual battlefield with lots of people. But it was just a very brief overview. They didn't really go into depth explaining the combat system. It was more just a montage of of images. So there's clearly a lot more that they will have to talk about in the coming months as to how how it works, how much or, or you know, to, to what extent it's changed compared to classic Fire Emblem, if it's more of a graphical overhaul than any sort of mechanical overhaul. But you can also apparently, I guess, you know, walk around the school grounds and talk to your students and you can choose lesson plans for them and uh, coach them or help them as they take their, their exams, which may be how they change classes I, su- I suppose it looked like it might have something to do with how you can choose new classes for your your units which is nice to have that flexibility yeah mm-hmm. so it just it looks it looks pretty i'm interested in it i think we're all kind of excited of the potential sort of like hogwarts kind of thing going on there the the uh the male protagonist if you choose to play as a guy looks very snape-like kind of he's he's got the robes <laughs> and everything and sort of the the dour kind of look on his face so i mean i'm 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 interested in it maybe it might not be everyone's cup of tea if they're kind of tired of the the school setting but it remains to be seen how much of the game is really going to be in that school setting if it's going to be the entire game or if something's going to happen midway through that will will change things up yeah or if that's where the yeah, yeah sure i have to say i absolutely hate the look of the female protagonist it's She's got pink hair it's so oh so the guy is wearing a full robe and i don't know weird kind of cape thing and his arms are completely covered and have armor she is wearing what looks like some sort of horrible bustier that makes her chest look gigantic or well it's probably that her chest is gigantic but then the outfit also makes it look huge her navel is showing she's wearing hot shorts hot pants and she's wearing tights like you know stylized tights under that and her arms conspicuously have like whereas his arms are covered her arms are exposed with the exception of like an elbow pad or whatnot it's it's so bad that's not sothis though no 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 that's the the female yeah. the, the the your unit my unit character that you can choose or the avatar i guess you call her. sothis also looks i mean i need to see a full shot of her she doesn't look like like the mo- the worst I've seen, but I need to see the whole design before I I judge her super bad or but yeah. It's still a, it's a very justified complaint. And I mean, and even then you can carry that down to even the three house leaders, you know, because it's just kind of funny that they're just like obvious American white guy, white girl to fit into the girl minority and then obvious ambiguous visible ethnic minority guy and it's just you know i'm glad that they're trying to cater to all that stuff too but it just seems very safe for lack of a better term we'll see what they do with the the characters and we need to see more of the characters too um so yeah all i know is for the first time i might actually be playing a male protagonist i usually always play a female protagonist if i'm given the option but here i don't know if you can't change their outfit or if their outfits remain the same even if you class them up like they have in previous fire emblems i'm not going to play as her no that's totally fair as long as they stick to like 
previous games, you should be able to change uh, the characters' outfits and at least their looks in general. Hopefully, anyway. Yeah, and again, it'll all work out to be probably a really great game, and despite all that, and I mean, I'm not trying to be too critical and reductive of these characters and their looks. Like, it's great that any of these are showing any representation in this from what it could have been. So I'm glad that that's there. And yeah, it's good that you have the option of playing a male and female protagonist, but it is a little off-putting that it's such a jarring change in <laughs> costuming for simply just having an appeal of let's make the male badass and the female attractive. It's unfortunately kind of, you know, it's par for the course in some respects with video games, but... Um... Yeah. That being said, I do hope it at some point came up in some production meeting where someone was just like, let's make the male snapely and the female shapely. <laughs> I apologize. I will leave the podcast now, everybody. It's gonna go, that's going to go somewhere. Like a po- uh, it's going to go on to like a, I don't know, a blog post or a review somewhere. <laughs> you can quote me on that game spot. Anyways. <laughs> but that's cool. Uh, it seems like the first Fire Emblem that I'll, I could end up picking up myself. Fire Emblem is a series I've always been interested in and wanted to try out because uh, I do, as we've just discussed, love my strategy RPGs and I like the relationship building mechanics of it. And I got not necessarily like the hard mode of it, but just if you have permadeath on, like having those choices have that weight just seems very appealing. But I just have never taken the time to get into it. But this one definitely looks really awesome. How about you two? Are you are you jonesing for this in July? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. My my concerns about some of the character design aside, it looks pretty it looks beautiful. It looks, you know, like Fire Emblem on a more modern console, thank God. So I'm I'm down for it. And um, I'm looking forward to July. What about you, Nathan? What's uh, your hit from the direct news? My hits? Oh, my hit for me was uh I was actually streaming my, my direct actually on the RPG fan Twitch when uh, the direct was live, and for if you were watching, I absolutely freaked out when Rune Factory four and five were announced. The the Rune Factory 4, yeah Rune Factory four is one of my favorite three uh, DS games, so that just made me extremely happy to to see that. But yeah, they're porting that from the three DS up to the Switch. Yeah. With uh, the from the video, does there a quality change in like texture work and everything too? Since you've played a little it. bit, yeah, they've upgraded the resolution. I don't know if they changed the textures, which is a little bit unfortunate because it's going to look a little bit dated. But for me, I'm interested to see what they do with the, the added content because they added a newlywed episode. That's what they called it. Yeah, I love that. It's just like it's Room Factory Four, but now with marital bliss. Oh, the, well, Room Factory games have always had that. Like Room Factory Four, part of the reason why I love it so much is because. The romance in the game was actually a lot better than in previous ones. Where previous ones was basically, let me give you your favorite thing for like a year, and then you'll fall, then you'll fall in love with each other and marry each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm experiencing that a bit in Rune Factory Frontier. Yeah, so but in Rune Factory Four, it's basically like, okay, first we have to be boyfriend and girlfriend. We're not just gonna go straight to marriage. And then secondly, there's a, there's a side quest because every uh, bachelor and bachelorette has their own like side story or some kind of like thing from their past that they they haven't quite gotten over yet. So you explore that with them, right? So you basically help them get over whatever it is that their flaw in their, in their personality or their character, and then you can get married. So, so for me, that was like the one of the best parts of it was the getting to know the characters on a way more intimate level than in, yeah, in previous that's games. Much more engaging. Yeah, I secretly wish it was. It went to like heavier things of just like you need to help her get over her daddy issues. You need to help this guy. Uh, you know, sort through his feelings for his ex-wife. You know, like, I doubt it gets that heavy. It's probably just like, they had a cat die when they were a kid or something. 
Uh, what one of the things was which one of the girls was it? I think Margaret had like some kind of like spirit possesses her. I think. Or so the, yeah, she, it sounds powerful. The course. She, or the, she gets her voice like stolen by a ghost or spirit, but the, it reminds her of something from from what happened to her in the past. So it's it's kind of like it's helping her with that issue, and then. Did you end up in a boat with her in a lagoon and a bunch of animals singing to you to kiss her? Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't think that's how it played out, but it sounded like that would be something that might happen. <laughs> sha la 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 la! Don't be shy about that. Oh, you wanna kiss the girl? Wow wow! Wow 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 wow! Oh my gosh, that would be such a random call out. Yeah, Take yeah. that, Kingdom Hearts 3. <laughs> we can randomly sing Disney songs, too. <laughs> and nobody will want to hear it ever again. We're sorry, podcast <laughs> listeners. Tune in for a musical episode next time, though. <laughs> so Rune Factory 4. For a special. And then uh, they announced Rune Factory 5, which got me even more excited because the company Neverland, they ended up going out of business like a few months after Rune Factory 4's Western release. So I thought for sure the series was dead. Because like without the, that original team, they probably weren't going to be able to you know make another Rune Factory. But most of them end up getting absorbed into Marvelous, and that's that, that's the team that's going to be working on Rune Factory Five. Because I guess they joined, had the rights. Yeah. So I think Japan has a release date of twenty twenty, which I assume is probably will be for us too. But mm. for me, like that, I just lost my mind when I saw that. So that was my big highlight. Well, I played the original Rune Factory briefly on the DS. I rented it back when rentals were a thing and i did really enjoy because i'm i've come from a harvest moon background and absolutely love the harvest moon series mm-hmm. and just the aspect of adding a bit of dungeon crawling combat taming your pets and everything all seemed really appealing to me to kind of add that different shift to the usual humdrum farming that can sometimes get monotonous of just like okay do my chores go interact with people give my favorite lady her thing and move on with my life yeah. rinse repeat Having like, oh, I'll go in and like fight to get to wherever I can mine gems and harvest things from animals. And I have to tame a cow now if I want milk. Like all that was really cool. Yeah. And I didn't really get too deep into it until Rune Factory Frontier that I find- I managed to find a copy of since they were kind of scarce at that time on the Wii. Yeah, they were. And I really dig that game. I still go back to it now and again. I haven't beat it yet because, again, it's a long game. But there's so many deep, complex systems in it that make it really satisfying to dive into. Uh, how has the series, I guess, progressed from one to four? Have you gone through each entry? I played a little bit of three. I didn't get super deep into it because by the time Rune Factory Four came out, I played. Was the... that the one with the two different towns? No, I, I, I don't think so. I didn't play much of three. So, like, I, I didn't play much of three. I mean, I played like less than five hours because I got because I didn't have to get super deep into Rune Factory Four, which is like a big step up. For, for a lot of like Rune Factory games in the series, so that's why I was so super surprised when when they went under because I was like the sales of this game should have been higher because I don't know the quality of this game is just a lot better than the other ones. But yeah, who knows if there's bad faith from the systems from before? Uh, what do you want to see change or grow or in Rune Factory Five? If they want to like keep a lot of the stuff they did in Rune Factory Four, I think they did that right. Maybe expanding more. Like once you usually get married and have a child, that's basically as far as you go in the game. There's not much that progresses past that. Rune Factory Four had a little bit of it, whereas a dungeon you have to go through with your wife and child. But I want I still want more like of an expansion on the story past that. So that's something I want to see. It would be pretty incredible if they kind of made like a legacy system of you raise your kid to basically jump to the point where they can take over the farm and you essentially become the grandparents and start phasing out kind of thing. 
and then you can kind of keep taking the farm over and you can see how the village evolves through the years that'd be incredible i don't think they would ever get that sophisticated with it because then that's basically becoming like rune factory civilizations but i, th- I think they did actually i think they did and think it's a th- oh, really? two or three i think they did that where you, you have your child and then you know the parents go missing and then you grow up as a child and you have to go find your parents i think that's something that happened in one of the factory games that's kind of like a lighter version of it but yeah i could see that working i mean they could almost even go like dragon quest six of yeah jumping through time where the same idea as what it sounds like they did with two of yeah you're 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 the parent and then the kid grows up whereas the parent goes off to do something else or phase out and yeah you can take over the farm in different phases yeah it could work like that too and you can do that yeah with your with your marriage and your relationship and stuff because in the past in like harvest moon when you get married it's just business as usual except now you have a, a wife to interact with and your kid yeah but they don't really grow or do much or add too much else to the farm i th- think yeah. maybe they might cook the odd dish for you or something yeah um, that, that's basically as far as it goes yeah that's only as far as like they've ever gone so that, i want them to go past that yeah you can like open a business or something and like your wife manages the business or you know or your child takes over that or you know yeah there's all kinds of nifty stuff that you could do or your son grows up to be an age or your daughter grows up to be an age where you can party up and take on the dungeons together or something that'd be super neat too mm-hmm. yeah i would also love to see any of these be somehow like co-op where you could like have a joint farm oh that'd be cool it's something i've always weirdly secretly wanted from like rune factory or harvest moon and it's the recent one that the people from harvest moon split off to do story of seasons story of seasons thank you yeah if they could like you can do like a crop tour in that one where you can just kind of go and visit the other person's farm but you couldn't actually like interact with it or do anything it'd just be kind of neat if you could have like a joint field kind of thing which i guess stardew valley was uh diving into where there was multiplayer where you could work on a farm together i think right i believe so yes i didn't play that one yeah we don't have our uh, our resident uh stardew valley expert here mike to to tell us about that and but i think we did do a review or had a review coming up of the multiplayer aspect of stardew valley but all that being said i am misinformed on it but rune factory 5 sounds like it'd be really exciting and as again as much as i enjoyed frontier if they're able to improve on even the systems of that game and that game looks even now still looks great on the wii Seeing this on a modern home console, the powerhouse that is the Switch, bringing these farms to life would be, it'll likely be a, a gorgeous game as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And these farming things always lend so well too to like picking up and go and just doing small segments of chores and stuff throughout the day. So having a portable with the Switch just seems like a match made in heaven for what has largely been a portable series. What else did we get announced? We got Bloodstained. Some more news on that of maybe coming out in the summer. Kaylin, I think you're one of the folks who were there, who's been following Bloodstained a little more closely. I don't know too no, much about no, it. No, no, actually, I haven't. Oh, you haven't either. No, I, I basically knew it exists. I, I'm not. I don't tend to be a Metroidvania kind of person, so mm, that's I saw it. I know it's an, exists. I didn't actually. This is how much I wasn't following. I didn't know that the main character was a woman until the direct. So, so now I'm kind of more up for it because I'm always down for strong, badass female protagonists, but I haven't, I have not been following it. That's right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know too much about it myself. I know a lot of folks at the site are pretty stoked by it because we do have a lot of, uh, as anyone has heard, Castlevania, Metroidvania fans. And for myself, not too much either. Nathan, we're not sure. Nathan has to run off now that he's imparted his enthusiasm for Rune Factory. <laughs> uh, he's got, he's got work to do. And we're going to be wrapping up ourselves soon, but we have a few more quick hits with the Direct that came out as well. Dragon Quest Builders 2 got a release date in July 12th, another uh, thing for the summer that's going to take up time. (laughs) Yes. 
people who uh, managed to pick up the late release of Dragon Quest Builders on the Switch because it came out last year on the, to the Switch. If you have that already, apparently you'll get like a throne that you can build and a costume that matches the original Dragon Quest Builder protagonist's costume, which actually was pretty sweet with the goggles and everything. But I don't think it's enough for me to want to pick it up just for that. I, From what uh, everyone has said, uh, Rob was pretty positive on the game, despite some misgivings of it. And the misgivings, I think, were valid that I'm hoping they've improved upon. So maybe now with this whole like first-person combat and stuff, the the battle at least mechanics will at least be a lot more engaging in this version than they were in the last one. It seemed a little more nebulous of you hope you kind of hit. There's no real kind of like lock-on system, so it made it a little challenging to get into combat and you're just kind of swinging at things and hoping for the best. What about yourself? Are you ever been into like the Minecraft and that kind of crafting kind of game? Uh, I like Minecraft, but I never played Dragon Quest Builders because I'm not really into Dragon Quest super much. So, mm. but yeah, I've played my fair share of Minecraft. Yeah, uh, I will say if they, you know, they do other builders, um, maybe they, if they did a Final Fantasy builders, that I would probably be all over. What would that be though? It would be awesome. Is what it would be. <laughs> Well, then we have, um, was My Life as King, wasn't that a Final Fantasy weird, like, subset back on the Wii? My Life as King, I don't, I don't know. I feel like that was a weird, it was somehow got, like, the Final Fantasy label slapped on it, and it kind of, whenever anyone mentions Nino Kuni 2, it throws me back to that, where you're, like, a king kind of managing a town kind of thing. But yeah, I don't even know what, like, a Final Fantasy builders would do, but it then the same thing, like, no one ever expected Dragon Quest builders to be a thing either, so... It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and it seems like something that could be done. I mean, the Minecraft mm-hmm. itself has various different packs that let you, like, you know, that there's a Mass Effect pack for Minecraft, so you can That's true. do stuff like that. So, it yeah, it could be interesting. It's sort of in the same realm of the uh, Dragon Quest Builders is a mashup between Dragon Quest and Minecraft, but we, then we have the Heroes games that are sort of mashups between you know, uh, Zelda and uh, Fire Emblem now with the Dynasty Warriors kind of series. So I don't... And Dragon Quest as well. Dragon Quest as well, yeah. So, you know, we could totally, I think, throw Final Fantasy in there. Well, exactly. All I gotta do is throw in the whole classic Chaos and Cosmos. Is that usually the the light? From Dissidia, yeah. Yeah, and also I think in Theater Rhythm of just like, their classic battle, you need to rebuild the world because Chaos ruined it. Yeah, I'm sure they could justify it if they needed that uh, cash cow to come in. Yeah. It's just a question of if there is there still that niche that needs to be filled by more of the franchises to get into the the Minecraft kind of uh, oeuvre. Who knows? But yeah, I, I don't see it being out of the realm of possibility. It's just, again, it's hard to picture, but no one would have predicted a Dragon Quest Builders, let alone Dragon Quest Builders 2. And then speaking of Dragon Quest, we've got Dragon Quest XI-S, Definitive Edition. Uh, and then there's also, of course, the Echoes of Elusive Age. Is that the moniker? The subtitle, yeah. Yes. It's it's a long, long, long title. But it sounds like this is yeah, literally the definitive edition to get. It's a question of whether they'll patch any of this stuff over to the previous ones. Because one of the biggest complaints against Dragon Quest XI for most people is the lousy quality of the soundtrack that they got and the fact that the switch version is getting the orchestration version and the basic one and you can switch between the two but why would you you know <laughs> is definitely going to be fixing a lot of the bad faith built by the original version of the game uh, one of its very few flaws it had because otherwise like we've reviewed it really positively it's been getting positive reviews all around yeah i want to pick it up and you can also you can also switch between the english voices and the japanese right? voices so there's 
I mean, I've not heard bad things about the English voices, but for people who like to play with Japanese, that's another bonus. Mm-hmm. These things I would think would be easy enough to patch into the uh, PC and PS4 yeah. versions of the game. Like, it should be easy enough, especially with the music and the voices, to just have that be a download. But, I mean, the question is, will they? Or will they just package a definitive edition for those consoles for ps4 and make you and pc make you rebuy it yeah right. they, they could they could do that because they like to make you rebuy stuff yeah so. they like to grind the gears for that but at the very least maybe they'll just make a paid dlc i mean that's less heinous but still rude yeah but it's also got the whole uh it does the what the 3ds one like i think everyone was hoping yeah it would bounce but you could bounce between the console version or the ds version of having the classic yeah, gameplay yeah. Which looks really cool, and we all thought we were never getting that because we didn't get the 3DS version localized here. Yeah, and it's one of those things, they're like, oh, we can dream about them abusing the Switch in such a way that we would get that, and thankfully, somewhere, someone listened and did that. Yeah. I also got Dragon Quest Eleven for Christmas, and now I'm kind of like, oh, I should have waited. <laughs> I'm glad I, I waited it out. Uh, once I heard the announcement that it was going to be coming to Switch, I was like, well, I may as well wait because then i'll get it on switch and if there is any possibility of us getting the the two version dream i was like it's worth hanging out for especially again given my backlog i was in no rush to pick up 11 as it stood so i am glad that i waited on it as you were saying you're not a you haven't huge been into dragon quest but 11 has snared your attention yeah because it it looks pretty and i i've heard so many good things about it. Um, I'm mainly just stealing myself for dealing with the music, which, you know, the orchestral version of the Switch is going to be great. It's not really going to change the music itself not being very good, but, you know, that's what volume options are for. Yeah, exactly. You can you can deal with it or put on your own stuff on the background. And... Yeah, it's what, I, it's what I'm going to do when I get around to playing the PS4 version. <laughs> We got it announced that real soon, Deltarune Chapter 1's hitting Switch, which makes sense, considering uh, how much everyone loves Undertale. It's been on the Switch for a while, and and it plays well. My daughter has been going to town on Undertale in every way, shape, or form. <laughs> Before we got it, she wanted it for Christmas, and she like, was in love with the soundtrack, and constantly brings it up. Knows like every character's theme. It's always bringing up all these little like Easter eggs and quips and things about it. She got her friend yesterday uh, who was here for a play date to try it and i could totally tell she was doing a decent job of playing off like oh i don't know what'll happen i've heard it's an easter egg if you do this if you enter your character name as this but i don't know what's going to happen she clearly knew it was going to happen <laughs> and that it was going to be like a hard version of the game if you put in the certain name and these other oh. stuff and, and so she was clearly kind of trolling her friend just to <laughs> amuse herself and prank them a little bit but it was just really funny to to see like how into this game she's gotten and from the ground up and i still need to play undertale myself and everyone at the site has said such great things about it did you play undertale caitlin no i haven't i'm I'm bad i know i'm so sorry everyone listening me too we both just got fired from the podcast mike has taken away our, our <laughs> hosting, uh, badges but Deltarune's coming up which has received some pretty good press as well you'll get chapter one for free and then the subsequent tra- chapters will come out as Toby Fox works on those, which will be paid for, but that's totally fine because we're paying for good work. If it's anything as creative and as en- enamoring, is that the word? I think. Is that a real word? Okay. I have a well, enamor is... Uh, I, yeah. I think you can use it with the gerund. I probably could. If it's in any way as creative and as lovable as the original was with its character interactions and the variety of stories, like 
I doubt Deltarune's full breadth of story is going to fall flat on anybody. We get just announcements that Final Fantasy stuff's coming. Chocobo, everybody. is March 20th release date. I'm pretty stoked on that. I don't know if I'll get it day one, just again because of backlog and finances, but I really want to get this version of it. I was I never played any of the past ones, but they always seemed really appealing, and I think now having it that I can play it with Gwen, it might be something that she would like to dive into. And Chocobos. Yeah, he's so adorable. And he's costumes. so cute, yes. Did you see him in Final Fantasy XIV? Wasn't he like a... Uh, a buddy or a minion you could get or something so alpha yeah which, that's the one yeah alpha is in this in the in this chocobo's dungeon game right yes a, that's what it is a, it's the other way around that's what yeah so you can get an alpha outfit. he's the cutest in 14 and i'm i'm sure he's super cute in chocobo's dungeon too i wonder what class kind of skills he'll bring because the whole thing is a job system in uh, mystery dungeon yeah i don't i don't know he doesn't really have a class in 14 i mean his Costuming makes me think of Sid, so I'm like, oh, is he an engineer, engineer or something? Engineer, yeah. But they'll just pull out some Balthier moves and start schmoozing on everybody and shooting guns. <laughs> no, we don't need more than one character <laughs> who does that. But we'll probably get them in some sort of weird future Final Fantasy installment as we get more modern with it. Or maybe they'll go back to something a little more rudimentary with 16. We don't know. We can hope. But right now, they're still milking that cash cow with 15. I think they've said, and this is obviously very preliminary, we don't even, it's not even been formally announced or anything that. But I think that they said they wanted to kind of move away from technology and technologically advanced uh, countries, cities, right. whatnot for for the next Final Fantasy. So we we could maybe expect something more, a little bit closer to a traditional uh, Final Fantasy experience. I mean, traditional like, fantasy in quotes, yeah. in quotes, traditional, like you know, like old pre six, more magic and yeah. Which would be that's fine with me. I like they they kind of ebb and flow between uh, Final Fantasies that are set in worlds that have a lot of technology, and then Final Fantasies that are set in worlds that are more magic and 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 myth based, and then going back and forth. And you know, fifteen was a very sort of modern technological kind of setting, so it I'm cool with the next game kind of dialing it back a bit. And as was thirteen. So we definitely have, yeah, we're due for a palate cleanse in the mainline series. Because I think in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, they were also justifying that future setting with 14 being so uh, fantasy-based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're just like, people have that if they want it. But I think if you aren't in the MMO genre, we've kind of all wanted that basic fa- fantasy, Final Fantasy, for a while. Because we haven't got, really got that since 12. So we'll see what that comes out with. See what we get from that in future announcements. I don't think that's going to come anytime soon for the next no. few years. But... Maybe E three twenty twenty one. It isn't, and it shouldn't. They should really no more. No more Kingdom Hearts three, where you know you announce it too early. No more Final Fantasy fifteen, where you announce it as a different early. game. Well, I mean, I don't know, fifteen <laughs> as a different game. And yeah, seven that was announced way too early. All that sort of stuff. Although speaking yeah. of seven, uh, the Switch version is coming in March twenty sixth. So if you want uh, another way to portable around uh, Final Fantasy seven, now that the PSP is a thing of the past. You got it again, and it's the up-res definitive version with the HD cleanup and everything, I believe. I'm sure there's better technical words I could use, but those are the ones you get. Enjoy it. And similarly, we've got Final Fantasy IX that came out the day of the the Direct. I've picked it up for review, so I'm going to start working on that very soon. I don't have much on it just yet, but I'll probably talk about that in the next podcast to see what kind of improvements were done. I'm just excited to have a Final Fantasy from the PlayStation era that I can just port around with me if I want. Did you get any of them on uh, PSP or Vita? Which one did you have? I don't have any of them. 
Or were I you think... playing um, War of the Lions on? Oh, oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, War of the Lions. Um, yeah, I have War of the Lions, but gotcha. Or but I, you didn't pick up War of the Lions. Gotcha. Yeah, now you have it on Vita. That's what I was getting at. It was a PSP or Vita you have. Uh, well, I mean, War of the Lions is PSP, but it's it would be it's playable on Vita as a result. Because you can download it, right? Yeah. But yeah, my I remember my best friend had seven on the PSP, and I was just hecka jealous that I'm like, you can just port that around, and then we've got it on on Android devices and stuff, of course. But it's just going to be nicer having it on a bit of a bigger screen and the higher definition for both of these is going to be so pretty because yeah. obviously those games haven't quite aged well so to speak although <laughs> nine has aged better uh and i like that there's gonna be like the speed up function and stuff like that so it'll make grinding it out a lot easier fast forward is kind of a must yeah i, I heard good things about it when even just watching you a few times on the twitch stream playing 12 and just getting through some of those stickier points of just like eh, just throwing a fast forward <laughs> and just through stuff is so nice to have as an option and then finally, probably what's going to be like the best definitive graphical edition, Link's Awakening is getting remade. Yay! It looks really pretty. It looks so adorable. It's it like Nintendo so Land on the, the Wii U, the Nintendo Land kind of little like amusement parky kind of graphics of it all. Yeah. And like cartoon. Oh, it just, it looks so endearing. And that game has so much charm already, even with the, uh, the Game Boy Color graphics. It looked great. And now you have these cute little squishy looking everything (laughs) juicy looking trees right down to a juicy little jelly filled link like it's oh it's gonna be so great and you caitlin did you play the original or know much about it or this is this is the podcast of me saying no i have not that's totally fine so Uh, no one no one's gonna call you out of my turf time (laughs) what am i saying whatever i was up very late last night everybody so you know parties woo friday night <laughs> yeah i played a bit of it myself only for the first time for uh, the this day in gaming series when we covered it and went through the first chunk of it so a lot of what they were showing in the reveal is all stuff i've seen but it just again like the new look is going to be so great for that and if they even bring that over to reviving oracle of ages and oracle of seasons in the same engine that'll be stunning it was a great way to end the direct mm-hmm. i think because it was i don't i'm not sure if anybody had an inkling that that was going to come uh that was going to come out or, we, or, or be announced rather like it was it was it was a surprise to me i'm sure it was a surprise to a lot no of doubt people. I, I, it's and there was like some video reaction video from people who were watching the direct at uh nintendo new york store and just yeah watching everyone just kind of lose their minds of the battle <laughs> like this was a thing what yeah it was very similar. I was just like, oh my gosh. And the little, like, again, that cutesy amusement park kind of soundtrack for it they've got developed. It sounds really nice, too. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a great way to bring that game to life. And uh, again, have, and it's still going to be portable, which is great, too. So, so yeah, that kind of wraps up everything that was on the, the Nintendo Direct. And we've got oh, so much oh, to look forward well, to. Oh, am I missing uh, something? What did I miss? Oninaki. Oh, yeah, I did miss Onanaki. That's right. That crazy action RPG from Tokyo Game Factory. Tokyo RPG Factory. Thank you. That's the one. Yes. Yeah, so their latest entry, their third game, is called Oninaki. It's really, I'm actually really interested in this. Setsuna, I Am Setsuna looked pretty, but I wasn't interested enough in it to check it out. Uh, Lost Fear was a little bit more interesting, but still didn't quite, like, grab me. The What they've shown so far of Oninaki is kind of cool. It sounds like it's a, a world that's very much rooted in a spirituality with regards to, like, there's 
the the world living and the world beyond and spirits uh, people move to the world beyond and have to be they had to they had to make that journey and if they get bogged down by feelings of anger or grief or whatnot they turn into angry evil spirits called the lost or whatnot you play as a character whose job is to sort of i guess uh, guide souls uh, make sure that they can make the transition to this other world and deal with the the souls that remain uh, that that become vengeful spirits or whatnot it's an action RPG this time around, which looks, uh, it looked really nice and flashy in the, the brief look that we got of it. So it looks really cool. I was getting kind of a Valkyrie profile vibe from it because it looks like part of what you're going to be doing is finding these spirits and maybe, I don't know, helping them with something or taking them with you to help them move from one plane to the other while you deal with the, uh, the evil spirit. So I'm wondering if there's going to be kind of like a, you can amass a collection of different characters sort of like you could with Valkyrie profile. Yeah. I'm wondering if you'll have like a party system or if it's just simply swapping between different weapon style fighting style mechanics, which it kind of seemed like it mm-hmm, initially, yeah. but you, that also could just be yeah, very early where you don't quite have a whole party built up or anything. I don't know how that's going to play out, but it does look like a nice change from what they've been doing. And I'm wondering if it's a good thing that they're stepping away from, building nostalgia based games because you know the past two have both been very much love notes to chrono triggers systems in so many ways so now that they're kind of doing their own thing it seems i mean this could just fall right into being you know clone of secret of mana for all (laughs) we know at this point or yeah them trying to recreate valkyrie profile or something like that we don't know but it does seem like they're finally taking license to develop something a little more unique and start to have their own voice instead of just relying on nostalgia. So we'll hopefully see some better returns for them and them starting to build a more faithful audience that doesn't just see the cracks in what they've tried to recreate and said, watch them build something from the ground up. Yeah. I hope this does well for them. I've, I've always hoped, you know, even if I didn't personally find myself interested in the games, I always hoped that they would do well and well enough for them to continue making new games because I think that we need we obviously we need more games we need more variety whether it is nostalgia trips or if it's something new um, more more variety is always better and it was really nice to see I mean it was a surprise to see that this uh, this team got created to, to do these sort of you know uh, these smaller I don't want to say budget but they're they're clearly not meant to be like the super triple a kind of you know graphical uh, powerhouse experiences that Square Enix's main titles are no by no means and that's always I thought that was that was refreshing and encouraging to see that they're willing to to put time and effort and and development teams into making games like I Am Tetsuna and Lost Fear and now Oninaki that can fill a, a slightly different niche within the RPG genre. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the team, I, I, I don't know, I don't know how else to explain it. Clearly, the our Tokyo RPG Factory team has been growing because it's a really quick turnaround too on Onanaki. Yeah, as we were discussing pre-show, that Lost Sphere just came out last year. Yeah, I mean it came out in 2017 in Japan, but we got it localized here just last year. So they've already yeah had another team either going to work because that shows there's a lot of groundwork put into what we just saw on yeah. the direct. So I'm looking forward to seeing more from it because yeah, despite the misgivings people have had of I Am Satsuna and Lost Sphere, I still like what they've put out. I still want to play both those games. 
I think this studio definitely deserves more opportunity to keep building on what they've already established. Yeah, I agree. And now for realsies, which I think <laughs> we've wrapped up all of our <laughs> actual direct news. So we had a listener question come from Arclight on the Discord. Uh, I'm going to bring it up in a future episode since it's just Caitlin and myself at the moment. It's a really great question, I think, for getting some discussion going over. And just the two of us, the uh, discussion will peter out pretty quick because I'm also very interested to see what more people are going to have to say about this specific question. So not to say that uh, I don't like picking your brain, Caitlin. Uh, <laughs> I uh, just think the more voices the merrier on some of these really good discussion point questions that we've been getting so to that end thank you for the question Arclight we'll bring it up hopefully on next episode when we get some more voices in the room but thank you everyone so far for continuing to give me questions as I ask so uh, hopefully we'll get some more for future episodes because that direct just dumped a whole lot of info on all of us it was a really nice like RPG heavy direct mm-hmm although to that end uh, what was your favorite non-RPG thing that you're looking forward to from the direct uh, probably Astral Chain. Yeah? That came out of nowhere, and it looks super slick and cool, and I'm, I am I want to know more about it. So As of right now, it looks like it's a pure action game, so we mm-hmm. are probably not covering it. If that changes, of course, you know, we'll talk about it more. But it, it looked really cool. I'm always down for that sort of, uh, you know, um, cyberpunk kind of uh, setting atmosphere, and this kind of looks cyberpunkish it uh, there's also i feel like there's some snatcher vibes uh in 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 this and i'm i'm just i'm looking it, forward a, to seeing there's more. an anime that reminds me of like the tokyo police mm, i forget the name of the anime but yeah it, it just the, the the cop angle as well just brings something fresh to it that we haven't seen in games in a long time for mm. some reason for me like it just really hit me with a, a weird like 90s 2000s ish anime nostalgia that also i found really appealing and then yeah mashed up with all this other um cyberpunk kind of stuff just definitely made it feel like i would have read this manga or something back in the day <laughs> yeah and it would not have been out of place did you play any of the bayonettas i've never myself i have not either i want to though i want to because i know People love them. I think my biggest mm-hmm. hang-up with Bayonetta has simply been getting to grips with her uh, character design and some of the right. provocative things that the game does to her or that has game has her do. I don't... I, I, I want to play them before I come to a judgment call on that, but it's yeah. it's been enough to make me pause just a little bit, but I eventually do want to get around to playing them. Yeah, despite the, the really visceral fun hyper action of the game there's also yeah a huge hyper sexualization of the character that even myself too even though i'm probably viewed as the target audience even i'm like eh, really mm-hmm. you know it's not enough to draw me in either but it's the same or some of the same team or it is the same team working on this one so it's going to have a lot of that intensity it looks like yeah certainly looks like from what they showed in the trailer yeah and i think that'll be really exciting to see how this kind of works with manipulating kind of two different points of control i guess for combat at the same time i'm curious how that'll work out yeah it's it's interesting it looks like you chain yourself to a mech and you're playing sort of in in sync with them yeah and it's just a question of, is it going to use both the joysticks to, like, manipulate one at a time? Or is you do you shift control in, like, instances between the two? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how that develops. Or is there going to be co-op 
and maybe mm. your your the co-op player is playing the mech or vice versa robot doggo oh the robot dog yes oh god ah thank you for reminding me of that because i mean it looks cool and, and everything but as soon as the robot dog came i was like oh, okay gotta have it i just i had to buy every game that has good dogs in it insta buy and then you'll be so conflicted if they ever come out with like Cujo the RPG. Uh, <laughs> There's a dog in it. Do I do I want to root for him? I mean, he's kind of like evil and killing people, but he's a dog. If they did kind of like that Friday the Thirteenth Jason game, where instead of Jason though, you're playing as the dog. <laughs> I don't know how that would go, but I doubt. Okami took a very dark turn here. Yeah, right. Uh, that's true. That's when we do play as the dog. And then, of course, there's Twilight Link. Yes. Yeah. Wolf Link. Yeah. And uh, Rapid. You can play as Rapid now in Tales of Vesperia. Like you can on, on the oh, really? main map and whatnot. And yeah. Yeah. So many, so many good doggos that you can play with. And uh, for myself, the, the Nintendo lover me, I was glad I kind of, as much as I really wanted to dive into it, I'm glad I held off on Captain Toad Treasure Tracker when it was on the Wii U, even though it used mm. the Wii U in a lot of ingenious ways. Bringing it to the Switch has been great, and now that they've announced that they're going to be doing a free co-op patch to it, that's just fantastic yeah. for myself to play with Annette and to play with Gwen, doing all the puzzle solving together, because that's the kind of experience that we generally like to play together. So I'm pretty excited for, for that to come up, and it's going to be on my, my list to buy sometime over the next year. So much, There was a lot of good stuff. I mean, even outside of RPGs, this is a really, really good Nintendo Yeah, direct. I think they're going to have uh, a really good lineup of things to talk about once uh, E3 gets here as well. And then we get to discuss our usual, who wins E3? Well, they better, because Sony is, Sony is sitting it out this year, so it's really their E3 to lose, considering that Microsoft usually... Yeah, they haven't really been super stellar the past there. few E3s. Uh, I've always come down to either enjoying the Nintendo or the Sony conferences the most. For lack of, well, the Nintendo doesn't really have a conference, mm-hmm. but the direct announcements that they give, they have a presence. Yeah, they did a good. Mi- Microsoft did a good job last year. It wasn't. It was. It was better than their previous E3s. But it still wasn't enough to win me over. But I mean, between between Microsoft and Nintendo, I feel like it. Like I said, it's Nintendo's E3 to lose. Yeah, that's fair. But even still. Will any of us lose when we announce more good games? <laughs> no. Just a question nope. whether you have the console or Everybody not. wins. I'm curious if Sony will turn around and suddenly try and do like a Nintendo Direct kind of thing or, you know, do their own little like announcement reel or something. Or if they're just leaving it all to the individual developers to announce first on PlayStation or whatever kind of stuff. How they're yeah. going to go through that. I don't know. The whole shape of that entire conference is changing. But we'll save that for um, another episode when we start getting closer to E3. I'm sure we'll have panelists on to discuss speculations and such. Well, Kaylin, thanks for sticking around to chat with us. Nathan, I'm sorry we lost you, uh, but you uh, have priorities that everyone needs to get to because, you know, got to make that money, which means I got to get out of here too to go do that myself. Well, uh, (laughs) enjoy your Saturday, Kaylin. Same to you. I hope to. And everybody, thanks so much for listening. For myself, Kaylin, and uh, our departed Nathan. Wow, that sounded really morbid. (laughs) (laughs) For myself, Kaylin, and Nathan. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at RPGFanCom, and you can email me any questions, comments, or send us spare potions at podcast at RPGFan.com. Shout out to you, Steven, and your love of games hard. That's a weird way to put that.